The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy I. Candy Kimsey. Like a pack of peeps, a big old blob of sweetness. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see the peeps Pepsi? Yeah, pep, oh, Pepsi, Doctor pepper. pepper, hot tamale, birthday cake. They is got it the it. flavor or is it? Yeah, it's flavor. Yes. They're coated. That big old marshmallow is coated. Oh, what I want is a Coke uh-uh, it's flavored a like a peep. Oh, it's a Pepsi oh. that has peeps flavoring. Oh. When he said chocolate Coke yes. earlier, oh, yeah. I was like, okay. "Have you had peeps Pepsi? Yeah, did you have it? Like Pepsi no, isn't sweet enough. I did enough. not try it. I don't. I would try it. They, they I don't should, know that I'd like it, but I'd try it for sure. They should call it Peepsy. Oh. Wasn't that smart? That would yes. be very smart. Absolutely. Yes, and the rickety <laughs> Carter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, or the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> or the Kool-Aid man. Easy on him. I'm so hard. What are you to trying burst. to say, Billy? Woo. Go to bed. Go to bed. You better. Go to bed. Go to bed. Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. Behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Pacow. So we did it. That was one heck of a rocket there. Uh, Serena the Edge Edgerton. We're walking on the edge. Yes. I like it. Bow down now. <laughs> Cherry the Annihilator <laughs> Lewis. I can't believe it. We are finally dum, dum. back to this study, guys. It feels like longer than it really was. I don't was. think we wanted to grow up. So here yeah, we yeah. are. So we chose right. middle school. We chose to walk through the valley of the shadow of death instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We all it's had, only dust. It's only dust. We yeah. all had, it was just dust. <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Ex- it was just dust. That's what Moses was saying. It's just dust. I know, but we're thirsty. It's just dust. It's just dust. Well, I'm like, it's not COVID. It's just a hangover. Yeah. No. That's funny. Meanwhile, you spread COVID to everybody in the restaurant. Maybe. I probably did. No, I, I wasn't wearing a mask. I'll tell you that right now. It's mm-hmm. a cult. Yeah. It's a cult. <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> hey, maybe you should write a next episode on that one. So we are back to our study. Canceled. Part three of our study. <laughs> it's time to grow up. And oh, this, uh, I titled in our notes, middle school to high school. Yeah. I'm such a jerk. Everyone's favorite time. Yeah, I know. Just, I got two in high school. Listen, seventh grade was the worst. Um, no, I yeah. I don't care what you uh-uh. say. Seventh grade. Yeah, middle school was the worst. Was the worst. Yeah. yeah. No, I failed grade pre-algebra. Pimples. Ooh. I sure did. You failed pre-algebra? I did, yeah. I was really. To just not show up to class? I didn't want to try to, I didn't want to work. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to do it. I looked at it and I said, no. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, hell no. I looked at seventh grade and I said, (laughs) no. No. I was more interested in other things. Like the ladies. They weren't interested in me because I failed pre-algebra. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it was, 
So, so what you're saying is they need to seed uh, middle school with with girls that pretend to like math. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yes. It's just does, ladies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, oh, so far in the study, we've learned that the recipients of this critical epistle, the Jewish believers in Jesus, had begun to grow cold were falling away, and within the context, were beginning to leave what they'd learned from the apostles. The worshiping of angels, which was a practice that was going on due to the Greco-Roman influences, had permeated even the church at this time. And at a minimum, the writer is trying to show they were mistaken in their understanding of order of priority concerning the Son and the angels, which is an incorrect position. We don't have to rely on opinion or speculation here. Other letters in the New Testament attest to this and are discussed in the same way. Worship of angels, bad. Worship of created things, bad. Worship of men, bad. Worship God and his son, good. Now, let's remember a few key things we've discussed along the way. Worship was not a part of the original created order, but rather a relationship between the creator and his created Adam and I'm I'm so curious because you guys weren't a part of this um, the preamble with me and Andy. Did you guys get that that I said that worship was not in the garden? Did you notice mm-hmm. that it was not part of the initial creation? It wasn't necessary because they were already in perfect relationship. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I really wanted to keep in mind as we went into this study because they were given dominion over everything that God had made. They walked and talked in this relationship, and the decision of that. Adam, to consume the knowledge of good and evil, changed the nature of that relationship. Now, they could know both good and evil like a god, and this was the problem. This is what sin is. In essence, man's ability to relate to the Creator was a skewed view now. Evil can be good, and good can be evil. And this isn't a stretch of the imagination. We encounter this in our daily lives. Take an ethics class. You'll see what I mean. They, in quotes, Adam, or in quotes, mankind, no longer had access to the garden of God. They were lost, blind to its existence, and unable to relate in its purest state with the creator they walked with. And it wasn't long until the first murder, and eventually people began doing something that the author of Genesis pinned down for us. Charlton R. Carter, The Reckoning. Yeah. Could you tell us what that was? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us what that I'll was? I'll do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Genesis 4, 26, the NASB 2020, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Yes. Now, when I used to read that, guys, I used to think that's a positive thing, right? But I don't think that the author of Genesis is actually saying it's positive. It's, it's kind of like a positive and a negative statement. Do you know how you can do that? You know, like... It's called a backhanded compliment? Yeah, there you go. Um, it's kind of like, so using their knowledge of good, they began to seek that by creating forms of worship outside of the garden to replicate what they had once had. Yet what they thought was good was actually evil. Get it? I mean, that's that's something that I never had really thought about until I started thinking about morality. So what we learn is that mankind split up into other tribes and nations that developed systems of thought in regard to this problem, and they started worshiping other gods and created practices and rituals to attain that feeling. 
See, that's a different one, guys. It's a we're talking about a feeling, a, a type of thing. It wasn't in the garden. This is after the fact, right? So what I think is happening is that God continues to operate within the knowledge of good and evil construct. And you're going to hear me use that phrase a lot in this study. I call it the knowledge of a good and evil construct, kind of like we talk about the matrix, you know, but it's the world that we live in and the way that we perceive reality. Okay. And sin came through what happened, the fall of man in the garden. Sin. It's the consuming of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the fact is, if, you know, we say the opposite of faith is fear. And if you don't know that evil exists, you don't have any fear. Mm -hmm. You have nothing to fear if you don't know what evil is. Right. And so when man consumed the knowledge of good and evil, man experienced fear. Yeah. And when you experience fear, it's partially because you have lost connection to God and you no longer think that you are that God's got your back. That's true. I mean, when it, when he says that, and they were naked and without shame, but then after they ate of it, then they realized that they were naked, which means that they felt shame. And he hid himself because he feared. Right. Right. Yeah. So there you go. And a totally other, well, totally random. I just got this really awesome book on Leviticus because I know everybody's so excited about oh, Leviticus. Sure. Law. Yeah, no, that's I read my it every favorite night. Law. Oh my gosh. Just forget <laughs> watching The Chosen, you guys. Just read the book read of Leviticus. The <laughs> <laughs> There's a real patient. But but it talks about. I'm going to um, Leviticus her out later. The, con the concept was of. That good? Other. Depends <laughs> on how good you do it. For you. Depends. <laughs> But this particular book that I'm reading, it positions the Israelites within the greater context of their neighbors of, in the ancient Near East in that time. Right. And it talks a lot about the different whole, the holiness code versus these other religions. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly right. All these other people develop these systems to deal with this problem. And the religion, even if you step outside of it from a spiritual, this is the truth perspective— the way that Israel created relationship with their God was based on love and connection, whereas every single other ancient Near East culture, their relationship was fear. Mm -hmm. And it was all about appeasing a thing that is going to harm them. And they were lived in, they lived in fear and they specifically lived in bondage to the fear of nature and what, you know, whether or not they were going to get rain, whether or not they're going to get crops. Sure. And then, and their gods were powerless over that. They believed they had to worship their gods to garner protection against these things that they were fearing. So it's really interesting, like all these other religions that were cropping up in and around Israel at the time, their whole religious practice was based on kind of controlling this fear. Sure. Yeah. And so, and that's, so whenever you hear me say the knowledge of good and evil mm -hmm. construct, I'm coming from that perspective. And this is something that man made for himself and with the ultimate goal of bringing mankind back to God. That's, I think I wrote that down wrong. Anyway, I think what I'm trying to say is that God works within the good and evil construct to bring man back to himself. That's what redemption is. It's the redemption process. So um, what did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? Cherry, can you read Luke 18, 18 through 20? A ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Luke 18, 18 through 20, NSB 2020. So notice what Jesus says here. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And the question being asked by this ruler of the Jews was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life? Is Jesus saying that you can receive eternal life if you keep all the commandments of this good God? In short, yes. 
that is exactly what he's saying. Remember, when Adam was sent out of the garden in his opened eyes and new shame state, the reason was because God didn't want him to eat of something else in the garden. Sarita, can you tell us what that was? Genesis 3, 22 through 24, NASB 2020. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out with his hand and take fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So God didn't allow man to live forever anymore. But it's important to note something, and I don't want you to miss it. Charlton, would you, could you repeat the verse I'm honing in on? Drove man out of the garden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So I can't get into the weeds here today with this, but I'll ask you all to reread Genesis. Yeah, did you like that? Uh-huh. Uh, I can't get into the weeds. Oh, Lord, y'all. Okay. Get in the weeds. Gardening. Okay. Quick, quick. Sorry. Yeah, she, all, she had a hot toddy. My bad. Yeah, it's that hot toddy from a week ago. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll ask you all to reread Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And Charlton Carter is going to do a side study on this soon, which we've already done. It just hasn't been released, right? So pay close attention to when the man or male was made, where he was formed, then how he's placed to the east in Eden, a place God planted. The woman female is made from the man's rib. Then God drives them out and places cherubim on the eastern side of Eden to guard it from every direction. This is actually very significant to what Eden is. Read it for yourself and try to piece it together. It'll blow your mind for reals. Otherwise, Mr. Carter will get into it. So back to our study. So man is out of the garden. Generations of humanity have begun. The ultimate goal should be understood. How can man get back to the garden with God, right? So then man did evil continually to the point that God repented that he'd made man and destroyed them by flood. I feel that way about my kids. I wish they yeah. do it again. <laughs> like you want to drown them in a bathtub? <laughs> no, 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 no. But we brutal, did have right? we had three full hours of screaming last night at bedtime from one or the other of them, and I was like, I oh regret every choice. I'm that like, I listen, I developed <laughs> a lot. Of, I developed a lot of patience raising kids. Okay, yeah. and I had a friend. We were watching his their baby for them, and this kid, like as soon as mom left, the baby was asleep. I'm like, oh, baby, be asleep for four or five hours good to go. They literally got out of my driveway and it was like, <sighs> like this kid screamed and I took him outside and I patted him on the back and I did all the things, all the things. He just screamed. He did not shut up until his mom came home. And as soon as mom walked in the door, boop, done. Oh, that was wild, bro. Rough. I did everything I could think of. And I almost like, I wanted, you know what shaking baby syndrome is? Yeah. Whoa. I am so good. I would never do that. But it was, you know. But you I was, can understand how someone would. Yeah, I yeah. was going to shake myself to death. Like I yeah. just had enough, you know. Yeah. Like, gah. Anyway, so God, God destroys them by flood, and but He makes a covenant with mankind that He would not destroy the earth like this again. He provides the rainbow to show He'll keep that covenant. And remember, in our preamble, Andy, we talked about covenant relationships a lot. You're going to have to know covenants. You're going to have to understand covenants if you're going to understand this epistle. So after this, we come to the place where He's going to provide a way back to get back to Him. And this will take time, lots of time, like generations and generations of time. This provision was told to the serpent back in the garden, her seed. The brainiacs of Christianity call this the proto-evangel... Help me out. 
Proto-Evangelium. Proto Say it again. Proto-Evangelium. Proto-Evangelium. Rick got it. Thank you, Rick. What did you say, Rick? No, I didn't say anything. What did you say? Ralph. Ralph. Proto-Evangelium. What did you say, Andy? I said Evangelion. <laughs> Somebody else got it, right? Okay. Anyway, the seed to notice that we're not the brainiacs of Christianity. Ralph right. is. But Ralph we're not. is. I was the say. seed to which the serpent was warned would crush his head comes through a promise made to Abraham. Do you get that? So this was this was told to the serpent as his curse, but this promise would come through Abraham. God would create a people from this man that believed and trusted him. We talked about that in the preamble too. Abraham is a special relationship, and through this man would come Isaac a promised son. Yet being on this side of time after Jesus and having the New Testament, we know that this was a shadow or a type of her seed that was to come. If you've heard my conversation with Andy, then you understand the covenantal relationship and agreement between two entities. God established an agreement with Abraham and his descendants. And like I said, God is operating within the construct that man had made for himself. God tests Abraham at his word. However, we all have to understand that God worked with Abraham for quite a while, even through Abraham's faults, i.e. the Hagar situation, before he gets to this fulfillment of his promised son and the test. I want to show you a type or a shadow of this covenant so you can get what the author of Hebrews is, is explaining in detail in chapter two. Because I know every time you read my notes, you're probably like, when are we going to get to Hebrews? Because <laughs> you can't understand Hebrews without the entire Old Testament. And so we're going to read all of it. No, I feel not. bad. I'm the only one that laughed at that. Yeah. No one else. I'm like, I think that maybe I'm the only one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, this, this isn't our first rodeo. I was like, right? I got nine people that are like, just so you know, my, like, my wife, whoops. my wife's the one that said that. She was oh. like, I thought this was a study on Hebrews. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it is. So you have to go back and Eventually. read that's all. A, that's yeah. that episode 27. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to go back and read all of the things Abraham went through before the fulfillment of the promised son and how, what you just heard went down. So Sarita, can you give us a quick rundown of Abraham's life leading up to the test? And I, I love this. Listen very closely. God called Abram, his original name, out of Haran. He goes to Canaan and God promises to give him that land. He builds an altar there. A famine hits the land and he goes to Egypt. Then he offers up his wife to the Pharaoh saying, oh, she's just my sister. Now, when we say offer, we mean like the goods. Right. Yeah, because she, she was hot. Full blown. <laughs> full blown. Sarah was purdy. Yeah. Sarah was purdy, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah it's going to be full blown. God brings plagues on Egypt due to this, and Pharaoh sends him and his wife and all their belongings out. Then Abram and his own nephew Lot have this, quote, I'm big now, Uncle Abraham. I should have my own room. <laughs> right. End quote, land problem. Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. Wise decision-making. Yeah. There's this giant war between the kings. The priest, Melchizedek, of the God Most High, brings Abram bread and wine and blesses Abram. Abram gives him a tenth of everything. Then God promises Abram a son. Then God promises him more land. Abram gets impatient regarding the promised son and sleeps with his wife's handmaid, Hagar, and then has a son named Ishmael. At this point, God issues the covenant of circumcision regarding his descendants. Every male descendant is to be circumcised in order to show that they are a part of this covenant. God changes his name from Abram to Abraham and his wife Sarai to Sarah. Abraham tries to get God to accept Ishmael as the blessed son. 
God blesses Ishmael, but not as the promised son, where the seed that all the nations will be blessed by will come again, her seed. So honestly, uh, something that I wanted to, (laughs) when Abraham came down and said, okay, we must circumcise every male, I'd be like, we nope. Out. What? <laughs> <laughs> we out. Yeah. 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 I don't I'm need good. that covenant. I'm yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. I'll take the. Where's the mark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I'll take two of those. <laughs> so I want to point out here that God does indeed bless Ishmael, promises him 12 sons who are princes, and that he'll make him a great nation. Abraham circumcised Ishmael. That's another rabbit hole to go down one day. Wait, Sarita. Wait till yeah. we do the side study on Abraham. I know. I'm looking forward to that. Ooh, wee. The Who's full like, story on insult to injury. Who's like, now add ham to your name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rough day for that, man. <laughs> Potted ham. <laughs> Sarita, please continue. Sorry to interrupt. Then the Lord visits Abraham with three angels and promises that within one year his son will be born. Two angels come to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pleads for the cities. The angels are sent in to save Lot and his family. Can I stop there and go you backwards? You sure can. Go back in time. Just like Lot's wife. No, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so you you said that he goes into Hagar. He's imppatient. He's impatient. But actually, it was actually Sarah Sarah, was. Sarai, who was impatient Sarai and was gives impatient. Hagar to him. So he really wasn't impatient. He just did right? what his wife told him to, as men have done oh, since the beginning of time. Can you imagine if your wife was like, hey, go have sex with her to make me happy? What? <laughs> That's what Sarah said. This and circumcision are That's not exactly good ideas. That's exactly what she said. Yeah, like Abraham's like, here, let's get the end of your penis. And they're like, why don't you just have sex with my handmaid? Listen, this is Old Testament, oh, yeah. man. This is not the first time nor the last time that I've been grateful to acknowledge I do not have a penis. <laughs> I just get, to, I just to, get to stand back and watch all this go down and be like, doesn't affect me none. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Because you, quite yeah. with him you haven't been sleeping for a while, have you? Yeah, right. <laughs> you're right. Sarai. Not Abraham was yeah. impatient, but Sarai you know, wanted this because she couldn't. Have, she was She barren. thought she was barren and she, she was, was elderly. Barren. How about the guy yeah. that would showed up two weeks before they decided, you don't need to do that anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, a new covenant. <laughs> So Abraham pleads for the cities. The angels are sent in to save Lot and his family. Then Abraham goes and lives in Gerar, offers up his wife as his sister again. Did you see this? He is pimping his wife all over the place. Well, he's terrified. That's the thing. Well, she just pimped her husband. She pimped him out too. She pimped him right out to Hagar. Well, that's true. You got that right. Thank you, Cherry, for that. That's a lot of pimping. Sweet Sweet high, really. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet chariot there. Swinging something. This. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Oh, man. Oh, that's, a, that's a double circumcision. <laughs> there we go, Terry. <laughs> he was healed by that point. This time he offered her up to the king of Gerar, Abimelech. Because of this, all of the women were made barren. God kept Abimelech from touching Sarah. This is God keeping his part of the covenant. Keep that in mind. Here we learn that Sarah is actually Abraham's true sister, the daughter of his father, not his mother, half-sister, etc. We also learn that Abraham is a prophet. Abimelech gives Abraham a thousand pieces of silver, oxen, sheep, and male and female servants and allows him to stay in the land. Abraham, the prophet, prays for Abimelech, and all the wombs of the women were opened. 
Here in Gerar is where the promised son Isaac is born. Then Sarah gets jealous of Hagar and Ishmael. Abraham kicks them out. God hears their cry and an angel saves them. Abraham makes a covenant with Abimelech and stays in the land of the Philistines for a while. Then God sends Abraham and his little son Isaac to Moriah for the test. Yeah. Now, um, something I didn't put in the notes, but I don't know if you ever noticed, each time that Abraham offered his wife to whatever the leader was— paid for that sin. Not only did they pay for that sin, but he always walked out with a lot of money and livestock. Which you're not supposed to prostitute no. your daughters or sisters or wives. Or your wife. Didn't really well, he, every first time he did though. it, he came out, he was more rich than before. Well, yeah. Well, first he goes in there and creates something, and then he fixes the thing and then gets paid for it. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the government. So he couldn't give her away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's pretty clear the lengths God went to keep the covenants he's made and what he told the serpent her seed would do to his seed. God is working within the good and evil construct man had made for himself. Ralph, would you please read Genesis 22, 1 through 18 to tell us about this test of Abraham? Genesis 22, 1 through 18. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering, and set out, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes, and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. And I will, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood for burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. They came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out with his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not reach out your hand against the boy, and do not do anything to him, For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, Be myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as of the sand, which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So, at this point, why have I went to all this trouble to say all of this? Your only son. Doesn't Abraham have two sons? Yes, he does. 
So why does God say it this way? It's this is my opinion, okay? I, I can't I haven't read this in a book, but within the construct of good and evil, the son of the promise takes precedence. He says your only son, but he's not acknowledging Ishmael. The purpose of the descendants of Abraham were to usher in the way back to God. Israel would be given the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the very oracles of God, and through this nation would come her seed. The other New Testament writings explain this pretty thoroughly. Tiziana, could you please read Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 2 to explain this? Yes. Okay. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and distinguish the things that matter, being instructed from the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to people who are blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, possessing in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one is not to steal, do you steal? You who say that one is not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who loathe idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a violator of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. Then what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. Yeah, you read that fantastically. Thank can we you. see circumcision one more time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And can you day. also say it actually doesn't matter? So if you went through that horror show, like. Well, it's just like Good whenever luck. whenever yeah. David gets mad about Goliath and he's like, y'all going to listen to this uncircumcised Philistine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's a cuss, like he's cussing him. Yeah. <laughs> so the writers of the Old and New Testament explain that Israel was a chosen people of God to bring his oracles or actual words to the world. The purpose? To be a light in their darkness, to lead them out of darkness back to God. In other words, to bring back the created to their creator and eliminate the enemies that prevent them from doing so, all so they can have eternal life with him again. The destruction of their enemies wasn't to make them a super nation above all nations with an egomaniac at the helm. That's what the Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes wanted, a warrior Messiah so they could rule the world themselves apart from Rome, but more importantly, apart from God. They were concerned with the outwardly, the physical world. Remember the judgment that Jesus hurled at them in Matthew 23? Do you remember that? They worshiped the gold, not the God who blessed it. They worshiped the temple, not the God who resided in it. They robbed the Gentiles like thieves instead of bringing them the actual words of the God they claimed to be representing. 
Let's go back to what Jesus said to the rich young ruler again. Billy, will you read Jesus' response to the rich young ruler's question, um, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Sure. Uh, Luke 18, 19 through 27. But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept since my youth. Now, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all your possesses and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad. He was extremely wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard him said, and so who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. So we see something unique here. Jesus said, you know the commandments. If that young man truly kept them, he would have inherited eternal life. But he had an obstacle. His money was more important than God. Think about what Jesus said. Sell and distribute your wealth. Here in the world you live in now, and then you'll have treasure in the unseen realm of heaven. Did you catch that? Huh? Have you really thought about how that works? Is there a physical place to deposit your money to, to the poor to save up in the fidelity bank and trust of God's heaven? Yes. But it's the how it gets there and the who takes the treasures to that bank. We'll get into that later in the study. But for now, what's more important is that Jesus told him to follow him. Follow him to where? To the cross to the burial, to the resurrection, to life everlasting through the Son. He is the only way. Here's another couple of verses to remember. Andy, would you please read John 14, 5 through 6, please? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Cherry and uh, Carlton, Charlton. Carlton and Charlton and Rickening. <laughs> Mr. Rickening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can you both read a few more verses so our listeners can know uh, who they're following, what they carry along the way, and how they get back to God? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? Luke fourteen, twenty-five through 27. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. John six fifty three through 58. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I will live because of the Father. The one who eats me, he also will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Right. So this all sounds very physical, doesn't it? Do you think that Jesus actually meant for his audience to take up a cross? Do you think the words, hate your mother, sounds fun? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I hate you, you mother. How about eating the skin and muscles than drinking the blood of a man? Actually, in that moment, I think he might have really meant it. Uh, Yeah. You'll have to do a side study on that one, buddy. And and we've talked about that. It's pretty interesting. Do you really think that's what he's saying you need to do physically? To me, the answer is no. And yes, but you have to shift your paradigm. This is spiritual stuff. It's about your soul. Remember, this is a God book. This is a spiritual book, right? But you got to remember, this is Old Testament. And this is... This is New Testament. Well, I'm just saying what we're studying from before yeah. and what we're reading before this is is a lot of Old Testament, the law and the law right, and right, the Old right. Testament. And so when we switch back and forth from Old Testament to New Testament, there's a new covenant. There's a... Uh, uh, it's fresh and it's new and it's it's not the hellfire and brimstone. It's love. And it, it we have to remember that everything that they wrote here is for the people in their time. So some of it, sometimes it's hard to understand some of the things that they're saying, especially when we're slipping back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So just remember that it is a new, custo- right. a new and, covenant. Right, and you're exactly right. And the reason why I'm doing it in this study is because that's exactly what the writer of the Hebrews is doing to you. He is he lives in the Old Testament world. Well, he was born and raised in it. He, he, he's All of, writing every, a New Testament book. Almost everybody that wrote anything in the Bible were was mostly in the Jews Old Testament sacrificial and in, system. Exactly, and they were, they were obeying the law. Yeah, right. They, they were all tied to it. Well, in, in, in Leviticus 2, there are burnt offerings that you consume. You mm-hmm. can consume them on the first day and on the second day, but on the third day, they've become unclean. And so you don't eat a burnt offering on the third day. Mm-hmm. So for Jesus to reference, this is my flesh, drink of my flesh, drink of my body, yep. it's a reference that they would have understood because they were used to consuming the sacrifice for atonement. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these mm-hmm. are books and everything. Except, does he mean it in a physical way? I don't think so, but like I will come to that re- side study. I will come to, to that study. side study. I don't think it's physical. Think it's physical. No. But what he's referencing is this idea that you are familiar with, with <laughs> sacrificing <me>. a thing. <laughs> I keep wanting to like Shrek. file like jamming an Alice in yeah. Wonderland reference. I just can't work it out. Yeah. Yeah. He got Shrek and you trying. can get Alice in Wonderland. But I mean, like that's the thing. He's talking to people who were used to making a sacrifice, burning it, and then consuming it. But who was and the so only one to ate those sacrifices? The priests. Levitical priests were the only ones allowed to do that. So it's what. So what I'm saying is, though, it's I'm curious, and I'll come to the side. I want to listen to it because what I'm curious is again, he's referencing something just like the Book of Hebrews. Doesn't need to say this is where that psalm is. It just says it was written. You've heard That's this. Right. It was written here. This. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if Jesus, you know. And I haven't done a deep dive. I'm just saying it's. I'm curious if what Jesus is doing is again referencing a certain sort of behavior that would have been familiar to these people. And he's saying, like the priests eat the sacrifice. I'm saying that now my body is the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. My body is the blood. My body is the is the which flesh makes total that you sense eat. because that was his, that was what he was saying. It was what he was saying. He's just going further in showing that he is the atoning sacrifice. But for those of us that, like you were talking about before, again, you know, no, most of us aren't familiar with slitting a throat and sacrificing a lamb, but these people were. Right. And so that reference to us, we're like, eat your flesh. It's fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> 
why would he say that? But for them, he was referencing a behavior that was in terms of their sacrificial system and in terms of their system of atonement. It wasn't really that like right. off base. That's it wasn't that's that what weird. Dahmer's going to gonna say. say when he gets to heaven. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Jesus isn't like yeah. Well, yeah. You know, the, yeah. Jesus doesn't have a fetish. Well, under that you know? pretense, you would understand that as a common person, you wouldn't eat those sacrifice. That would be crazy because you're like, we're, we're not Levitical priests. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. But he's actually telling them that if you could eat my body, think of what would happen for you. You're a priest. Yes. You, he's making you a priest, basically. But that is also in line with Jesus' teachings that we're all sons and daughters of God. And yes. like, no more are we exactly. living within this system. Kings and, and priests. So, and, and again, like, you know, at the end of John, he says, there are many other things that Jesus said and did that are not recorded That's here. That's right. Yes. We have no idea how deep the relationship was with the 12 or the 180 or the many other disciples that Jesus had following him around at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's possible this kinds of conversation, there will no longer be a priesthood. You will all be ministers exactly. has, has been, had right. been had. And That's we're not right. go out to just... Uh, convert people. We're supposed to go out and get people to go out and get other people. Right. And and in, you know something else. I was talking about going back from the Old Testament to the New Testament and the law. A lot of New Testament, they're not talking to Jews. They're talking to everybody else. They're talking to Gentiles. They're yeah. in other countries talking to Gentiles. Yeah. Right. And then this epistle, he's talking to Hebrews. Yes. He's talking to, that's why it's the so epistle. So it's a whole different texture. It's a whole different yes. style of conversation. And as we get later into the study, we're going to break down more of this because that's why I had you read that, Tiziana, earlier about uncircumcision versus circumcision and what it means to be circumcised in the heart versus, right? So You mean well, when I, we actually get to Hebrews? When we actually get to <laughs> Hebrews someday. A little, a little farther into Hebrews, it says you are a royal priesthood. That's exactly yes. right. Right. Yep. So... I've asked you to shift your paradigm because I see this as spiritual th- stuff, and this is about your soul, your essence beyond the physical, but you have to sell your possessions in the physical world. Now, I'm not saying all of you need to sell your possessions. I'm just saying, in this case, the rich young ruler— Did you mean Lazarus? Yeah. <laughs> sell your possessions in the physical world if it keeps you from following the her seed, the promised son— to engage your spiritual side that is following the sun. I'm hoping that you guys are picking up what I'm laying down. Yeah, so let's think about this for a moment. Remember, zoom out and look at the big picture. This is a book about God and man, the her seed and the serpent situation, the promised son, your only son type, the oracles or actual words given to Israel, the place where the God of the Bible comes to tabernacle or temple with his people, the King David seed line carries the her seed line, the only begotten son of God. This is about getting back to the garden with God. All of this is about that. Now, as we get into chapter two of the epistle to the Hebrews, we need to remember what the writer had proven in chapter one. Yes, the son was a human being, lesser than the angels for a period of time, but that was not the case now. The son accomplished the very things that the angels themselves had given to man to say from God. They were ministers of the oracles of God to Israel to bring the lost and blind mankind back to God. How can you place angels higher than the sun? He's the way back to God. So let's read chapter two and we'll get to the gist of this. Sarita, do you mind reading verses one and two? And then we'll stop prematurely to make the first point. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every violation and act of disobedience received a just punishment. 
Hebrews 2, 1 and 2. Yeah, I stopped you a little short there. So the writer is saying, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. He's showing them that if they are placing angels above the sun in their spirit minds, that they are actually missing the whole point of the gospel message. Pay attention to God's words, not the angels that delivered them. Don't drift away from that. Why? Because God's laws that lead you back to him are unalterable or cannot be changed. If you violate these laws or do an act of disobedience to them, you will receive a just punishment. Again, this is a holy God working within the good and evil construct. Let's read it. Uh, will you please pick up in verse 3 and read it in verse 4? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. So the writer of the Hebrews is explaining that the good news about the only way to be saved from this endless cycle of good and evil and death and separation, which was first uttered by the Lord, meaning Jesus Christ, then confirmed by the apostles and followers of Jesus, and then confirmed by God himself through the testifying by a display of both signs and wonders, various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of which was according to God's will, was to remain in that mode— Don't neglect what you've received from him. You're not saved by the angels. The Hebrews were making the same mistake that their ancestors had made. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. They're playing spiritual games in the physical world. Get it? They're saving their physical bodies and are losing their souls. They are focusing on the beings that were entrusted with the message of what they had heard instead of who the message was about. They must pay close attention to what they have heard. Let's continue in the line of thinking from this writer. Billy, would you read verse 5? Hebrews 2, 5. For he did not subject to angels the world to come about which we are speaking. So this verse is important in regard to the mistake that Hebrews have made. Subjection is an interesting word here. The world to come that the first century Christians were waiting on was not promised to the angels to have control over. The world to come was to be in subjection to someone or something else. The idea that comes to my mind is who was the world under the control of at the time of this letter? The Hebrews obviously have a twofold view of their world or the ages in which they lived, this age and the age to come the world to come. I think if we can understand who the world was subjected to in their world, we can begin to understand the importance in the shift of the worlds or ages. So who was in control of their world? Remember, the writer tells them to pay close attention to what they have heard from the Son, his apostles, and followers. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, back then, uh, these things that are happening, people take generations to hear and understand a lot of this because they didn't have what we have today. Mm -hmm. Something happens today and the whole world knows tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But these things that happen, a lot of times happen in a vacuum because it happened over here and it's being taken out to other places. And in some places, uh, there's a lot of people that know about it. But for the most part, most of the world doesn't know about this at this time. Mm -hmm. This is just getting out there. Right. Yeah. It's very small and insignificant in in the grand scheme of things. You're right. Tiziana and Rickening, can you both read a few verses to give us an idea of what they have heard? 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 4. 
Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in trickery or distorting the word of God, but by the open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's person's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Oh, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, excuse me. Mm, You're good. I was just thinking about it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Back in 2 Corinthians, Paul's referring to Jesus' words about his parables, was to blind them. Mm-hmm. That's right. So Revelation 12, 9 And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the world, the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So I'm certain that this is part of what the Hebrews had heard. They obviously knew what Christ was delivering them from, but if we aren't quite convinced by the letters from Paul and John, let's look at the unique relationship between the God of this world and the son that the writer of the Hebrews is giving significance. Ralph, can you read a section of Scripture where Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the wilderness? Uh, Matthew 4, 8-11. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, along to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So like I said, subjection is an interesting word. This is the place where you have to bring it all back to the construct of the knowledge of good and evil and what I meant in regard to worship prior to the fall in the garden. Ever since the first Adam was given dominion and lost it through an act of disobedience, it's critical to know that Satan gained that dominion. The world was subject to an angel or God of this world. Andy, can you read a fascinating verse regarding this angel and what he can do? For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Should I pitch that down so it's like real low? Yeah. For even Satan. That's not bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's from 2 Corinthians 11. So this being is in control in their world, their age, and he disguises himself as an angel of light, an angel of light. This is what has happened to the Hebrews. They've either misunderstood what they've heard from the apostles regarding the son and the angels, or they've decided to neglect their salvation due to the circumstances. In much the same way that Satan tried to deceive Jesus into worshiping him, the deception of worshiping angels is very deceptive to the believer. God's operation within this construct of the knowledge of good and evil is an amazing moment in the history of mankind. Their knowledge of good and desire to worship was ever-present. The writer of the Hebrews is going to begin to show the deconstruction of this world and how a major shift in subjection is what's at stake for them. Welcome to high school. It's time to grow up. The world to come was not going to be under the subjection of an evil angel anymore. No, it was going to be under the subjection of a man. The dominion of the world will go to another Adam, 
a second one, a better one, a man who would be made lower than the angels, but achieve something in this world that men for thousands of years had longed for. This man would take the dominion back. He would teach the world what death truly was and how to overcome it. He would elevate the minds of those trapped within the good and evil construct they'd been born in, living in, and would die in. He would show them the very adversary of God and how to defeat him. He would bring his people back to the garden of God forever. Not only will he do this, but he'll make a way to be in the good and evil construct, but not of it. He would change the very nature of it. And this is a very, very special man, her seed. Mm, that was a great cliffhanger end. I like the way you did that Bam. because I, I was waiting yeah. for you to give us the title of the movie that you were describing right <laughs> there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, I, you know, we read a lot of things that were outside of Hebrews, and everybody, you're right. I'm not reading a lot of Hebrews. Now, when you get into part four, five, six, and seven, we're going to be tremendously in Hebrews. and But I we needed to do this back study so that we understood what the author is trying to show here. These people were worshiping angels. They were living in the Old Testament sacrificial system, and they were waiting on something. They were waiting on the soon return of Christ. That's what they're waiting on. And what's supposed to happen? The judgment of the very nation that had the oracles of God and have twisted them and stolen it from the world and didn't do what God said, and Christ came and solved that problem. And the weird thing is, is it was planned before the world was even made. That is a noodle cooker, bro. <laughs> Yeehaw. Hey, yeah. it's Saturday. I'm bottling beer, so he brews. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we've said that joke like eight times in here. Not not enough. Not enough. <laughs> well, anyway. my husband makes coffee for me every morning, so he brews. Ah, I make coffee for my wife every morning, and she drinks. Oh, that doesn't work, <laughs> does it? <laughs> That's the worst. Anyway. A for effort. Yeah, thank you. So, Cherry, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Rick. The Edge. I'm glad you're alive. Sorry I made you sick. Andy, you make me sick. <laughs> you make me sick. <laughs> Andy, Ralph, Tiziana, glad you got to be here. Rick, thanks for driving all the way up from Columbia. That's Savannah. That's, and thank you. Savannah, Georgia today. He drove up from Dang. Savannah. Yeah, he went to Savannah I'm and then dedicated. back up here See in one cool day. See how cool we are? Yeah, I'm, just <laughs> glad, I'm just glad he ain't busted through the wall yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's time, Billy. There's yeah, time. There's time. There's time. And Sarita, thank you that's for driving up from Spartanburg every, every single time. All right, the guys. next time I come, I'll be coming from Columbia, though. I'll be yeah. in Columbia that day. Well, we will talk to you guys again next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Peace out. Bye, y'all. Hey, guys. This is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burroughs of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. I promise you it's just dust. It's yeah. just <laughs> dust. And then Serena's like, I'm dying. It was awful. We never go out anymore because of the kids. And uh, yeah, we never got anymore because children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Saturday night, my mother-in-law came up and stayed with the kids so that we could have like a little date night. Dylan and I literally like 
we like left the house, ran to dinner, and ran home. We were gone like two hours. That's oh, it. Wow. But while we were gone, I had a singular individual hot toddy, which is essentially water yeah. with a shot in it and some lemon. And I woke up Sunday morning feeling like I had been drugged by horses. I woke up, I was like, man, is my tolerance that low that I've got a hangover from one hot toddy? Yeah. I feel like garbage. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is insane. I'm never drinking again. Listen, I was Lord, chugging hot healed. toddies trying yeah. to get over that mess. I was like, where is the Evan Williams? Somebody yeah. find him and some honey. Give it to me. Get yeah. that old granddad. Yeah, so I was like, this is wild. I can't drink anymore. And then I took a COVID. I was like, oh, it's COVID. Uh, <laughs> so your yeah. tolerance is you fine. Have a, you might you have, have a COVID Let's hangover. go drink it. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You so can anyway, get so what are we doing after this? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right on. Listen, I, I just before told, I left, it's fine. I just told her that since the baby's not taking a bottle, yeah. that she needs to go away. So she can come stay in my spare room and we'll go hang out by the pool while the, while the husband does all the work. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah She'll take it if she's phone. starving. <laughs> She'll eat eventually. Yeah, turn off my phone. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's I Sarita told me that story of Ella not taking a bottle and like eight months. Alive. Are we ready to get this baby rolling? She's 18. She's take 720. a bottle She's good. She's a sippy cup now. <laughs> rolling, rolling, rolling. We ready? I had a joke and everything. Where? But you oh, can still put it in. Andy knows how well, to do this. I had Stop. to go. I had to go have some minor surgery, and 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 the anesthetist was like, "Look, do you want me to give you some laughing gas, or to want me to smack you over the head with a canoe paddle?" And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "Yeah, it's an ether or situation." Oh, <laughs> that was good. That's a good one. Oh, that was not. So good. so good you literally dropped yeah. the mic. Yeah. Yeah, and good. I didn't even tell the joke. Yeah. That, was, that was good. That was, was good, wasn't it? How many times do you think that guy tells that joke a day? Well, my well wife, I read it on Reddit. It's yeah, real. So, oh, okay. But maybe a lot. Maybe my, you should my find wife works at a dentist office. That. I'm going for that. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you. I had another one, but it's definitely Keep going. NSFW. Let's hear it. Oh. Well, I used to date a twin, and people used to ask me how I could tell them apart. And I was like, well, Eric always wears a white hat, and Sue has a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Anybody else got any racist jokes? Just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Do I have a racist joke? You may have a circumcision joke. That seems appropriate. Ouch! I do! You do? Let's hear oh, it. Oh, All right. So once upon a time, there was this rabbi. And or there, there was this, there was this. Moil. Excuse me. All right. So once upon a time, there was this leather, this leather worker, and he had, you know, a little shop in town. And, and uh, there was this retired, uh, this retired rabbi. And he came into him and he was like, look, you know, I'm retiring and I just want to make something to kind of commemorate, you know, all of the years that I, that I have of service. And so all the, all the, the, it's, what is that? The briefs that they perform when they, they, yes. the, all the briefs I performed, I have all these little like chunks of, of, of foreskin. <laughs> and I was hoping you could like put them together and like make something for me on my career. So the leather worker's like, that's a super weird ask, but okay, let's see what you got. So the rabbi drops off all the foreskins that he's collected over the course of his career and he leaves and comes back a couple of weeks later. And the guy's like, oh, you're gonna be really excited about this. And he presents to him this like tiny little wallet. And, and, and the, the rabbi's like, look, I had an entire career. I retired after years and years of dedicated service. I bring you all of the trinkets and tokens of my service and all you can create for me is this tiny little wallet. And he's like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. If you rub it, it turns into a briefcase. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my Lord. Oh, I laughed so hard. All right, I'm out of here. Okay, bye. Bye. Yeah. bye.
kind of a kind of racist, awesome. kind of racist, and a circumcision joke all wrapped into one. Should have cut oh, that one Lord. off short. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we don't need to know your story. Well, if we did we wouldn't have admitted it? <laughs> no, nobody would have admitted it.